This is a test of the microphone. This is a test of the microphone. Oh, right. Cool. cool, cool, cool. <laughs> you finally picked up on that. You got it uh, switched over to the right one? No, I don't. Okay. Just making sure. Yeah. Just yeah. making sure. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. I mean, we forgot to upload the podcast on Monday. We forgot <sighs> to pay rent on Sunday. Yeah, and I know. Also, I forgot to get my oil changed today. So it's worth checking. Mm-hmm. Sure. So tired. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter. And today we are discussing chapter seven of the book Prince Caspian. This chapter is titled Old Narnia in Danger. Um, Uh-oh. Oh, no. Who are you? Um, Hi. Hello. I am Camilo the Hare, and this is my co-host... I'm Wimbleweather of Dead Man's Hill. Ah, Wimbleweather. Mm-hmm. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. So we are recording this post-election pre-results, mm-hmm. just in case anyone is wondering why we're not talking about the election. Uh-huh. You also didn't say your real name. Oh, I'm also known as Kristen. <clears throat> and I'm Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi. Welcome in. Crazy. Um, we're tired. Yeah. We're, we're both tired. Mm-hmm. I am significantly more so tired, I think. But anyway. We started a new job, so, you know. Yeah, we both started mentally. new jobs. We're both exhausted. Mm-hmm. We're both tired. Also exhausted. This is thrilling radio. Woo! <laughs> Why don't we just get into the chapter? Okay, so. We can talk about that. We are in chapter seven of 15 chapters in this book. So we're almost halfway through this book. Mm-hmm. And we are still in pre-story. We are still learning what happened before chapter one. We're still in our little frame section. (laughs) So, Chris, uh, would you like to do your sentence summary first? Sure, why not? All right. So as we read through the chapters, we each choose uh, five sentences out of the chapter to tell the chapter story in its own words. So, Chris, go ahead and do your your summary. All right. Mine's about a third of the chapter. Um, Here we go. Never had sleep been more refreshing, or food tasted more savory, and he began already to harden, and his face wore a kinglier look. When all the other creatures had been persuaded to sit down quietly in a great circle, and when, with some difficulty, they had got Pattertwig to stop running to and fro and saying, Silence! Silence, everyone, for the king's speech! Caspian, feeling a little nervous, got up. Your Majesty, said Dr. Cornelius. And all you variety of creatures, I think we must fly east and down the river to the great woods. At last there came a night when everything had gone as badly as possible, and the rain which had been falling heavily all day had ceased at nightfall, only to give place to raw cold. If your majesty is ever to use the horn, said Truffle Hunter, I think the time has now come. All right. There we go. All right. Mm. You made it? You made it I did that. make it. That was really hard to read through. All right. Here's my summary. You should start writing better. <laughs> I say that every time. Yes, you do. Um, here's my summary. Dr. Cornelius, cried Caspian with joy and rushed forward to greet his old tutor. We must go to Aslan's Howe. And though Miraz's men may have been afraid of going into the wood, they were even more afraid of Miraz, and with him in command, they carried battle deeply into it, and sometimes almost to the how itself. Then in the name of Aslan, we will wind Queen Susan's horn, said Caspian. It was arranged that he should run for lantern waste while Trumpkin made the shorter journey to the river mouth. Cool. Uh, yours is shorter. I, I feel like mine focused a lot more on like the, the character development of Caspian in this chapter. Yes, you're I feel definitely like dead. I really wanted to hit like 
the plot points of getting to the how, mm-hmm. the plot points of blowing the horn. Like, yeah. those are things I really wanted to make sure I had in mind. Yeah. We didn't use a single sentence in common, which I didn't think we would because, like, there's there's, there's a, a lot, lot of exposition and, chapter. yeah, and uh, lots of lots of good sentence, summary sentences, which I had to slog through. That was a, <laughs> it was difficult. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot does happen in this chapter. <coughs> Events take place. <laughs> What you, does that even mean? You looked at me like you weren't getting the joke I was making. I'm not. I'm referencing my, my whole thing of always saying nothing happens in the chapter. Okay. Got it. How long have we been doing this podcast? Um, a year. Yeah. And four weeks mm-hmm. or something. Uh, yeah, a lot does take place. There's, you know, some stuff that we can get into. This I chapter feel like should... this book is just going to be your favorite as far as writing goes. Like, regardless of what actually happens, you're going to be like, this is the best written book. It, so far, yes. We'll see how it ends. Uh, also, uh, this covers a lot of time. We don't know how much time takes place in this chapter, but it's a bit. Yeah, some time. Um, yeah, there is. So, and we, we learned some... Enough time for the giant to cry into a field of mouse mice. How long does that take? I don't know. <laughs> but a it's bit. A, it's like one of those southern expressions that you could throw out. <laughs> I'll be there in about as long as uh, takes a giant to cry into a field of mice. Uh, yes. Anyway, uh, so what happens here? We have our war council. We open with that. Yes. We meet on Dancing Lawn. Everybody shows up. The fawns are already there. and like, The bears the... are arguing about whether they should eat first or second. Uh, we do get introduced to one new named character, uh, the old raven of Ravenscar. Or no, two new named characters, yeah, obviously. Yeah, because you introduced yes. yourself as the other so, one. So, Old Raven of Ravenscar shows up with everybody else we met in the last chapter, as well as Wimbleweather of Dead Man's Hill, the soul, a small but genuine giant. <laughs> I don't know what's considered small for a giant, but... Yeah, but he's small. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's carrying uh, on his back a basket full of seasick dwarves. <laughs> I just <sighs> love the image of that. That's my. That's probably one of my favorite images from literature, is just... Six dwarves in a basket on the back of a giant, all feel regretting their decision to accept a ride from the giant, mm-hmm. just feeling seasick. I love it. Yeah, it reminds me of like scenes of the hobbits on the, riding on the ends and stuff like that. And I've and I've worried if this is like or not worried, I guess wondered if this is like a giant battle dress where like he you know he shows up to the battle and just like tosses the dwarves at <laughs> you know into the fray. But we also learn in this chapter how incredibly dense and slow giants are as far as, like, intellectually. Yes. I also set you up really good for, like, a never-tossing-a-dwarf joke, but yeah. you. You never toss a dwarf. Yeah. But if I had introduced myself <laughs> as a dwarf, then I would have been more defensive, but I didn't. So. Uh-huh. I'm a hare. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we have an argument about how to start the War Council, um, and we... we you know, play on some more animal stereotypes as we go into this, where oh, yeah. the bulgy bears want to eat first. You know, Reaper Cheap's like, you know, he's the ballsy one. He shows up and he's like, no, let's go to war. Let's attack right now. Uh, you know, we have... Forget the, this council. Let's just go attack right this minute. You know, the fawns want to have some sort of ritualistic weirdness. Uh, you know, Pattertwig wants to eat with his mouth full. Eat with his mouth full. I mean, uh, that uh, generally works. Talk with his mouth full. Jeez, it's one o'clock. Why am I so, like, out of it right now? <laughs> it's one o'clock. I haven't had caffeine for three days now. Um, we have really? The, yeah. So <laughs> that latte that I brought you yesterday. You didn't bring me a latte yesterday. You were out the door early. One of the last two days. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, and then we have the old raven who, like... We don't really know anything about him other than the fact that he wants to have a little speech before the whole thing gets started. Yes, and they all have to stop him from taking over and trying to deliver a speech. Yeah, apparently that's what ravens do. Uh, Nevermore! But then, and I wanted to touch on this a little bit, everybody gets overruled by Caspian and the centaurs and the doors. Yes. So they are ostensibly leading this thing. Uh, I can see Caspian because, like, everybody's. Yeah. Because, like, Caspian is like, oh, hey, the, you know, the king, whatever, everybody's kind of seeing him as the king at this point. Um, and the centaurs, which are, like, powerful prophets or whatever. But the dwarves, I thought, were interesting as, like, a leader of this thing. Because previously in Narnia stories, 
we never really see dwarves as the movers and the shakers of of the Narnian world, like especially in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and like the last battle and everything. We never like see dwarves take any kind of prominent place. You just said last battle, and you haven't read that book yet. Um, what I was trying to say was in the last battle, like lowercase, in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, okay. the final battle of that book. Got it. Dwarves don't really show up. Uh, and if they do, they're on the side of the witch. Yes. And so the fact that they've now taken, I mean, it's been a thousand years, like a lot has happened since then, but they've now taken on such a leadership role where like the other animals like deferred to them uh, is interesting, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely think that it's a really dramatic shift for Narnia and for the Narnians and the role of dwarves in Narnia because in The Magician's Nephew, dwarves kind of started out as being among the the kind of leadership council structure it felt like, at least. I don't know if there were any dwarves in the circle with Aslan that was pulled away to be set aside as, like, leadership. Mm-hmm. But also, there were dwarves in the whole situation with Uncle Andrew. There were dwarves who... Uh, got all of the gems for the crowns for Frank and Helen. And so there were dwarves present there. And this has kind of been like a reinstitution of dwarves back into a structure. Because I feel like they were part of it in Magician's Nephew. But Mm -hmm. yeah, like I definitely agree. And in all of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they were definitely less significant, if not enemies, of the Narnian structure. Yeah, and there's this whole, like, interplay that, you know, or back and forth that happens with Lewis's world here, where on the one hand, we have the animals saying things like, oh, you know, you're the closer you are to human, the more you are likely to change, and, like, the more corruptible they seem to be. Yeah. But at the same time, like, the the more human you are, the, you know, the closer you are to well, leadership and like this, you know, uh, royalty and like and, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, which is, I don't know. It's weird that that kind of thing takes place in this world because like we went back and then, you know, obviously magician's nephew was written after this book, but we go back there and we see the creation of the world and the creation of all these animals first. And it's a very animal centric world to the point where like the God figure in this world is a lion. Yeah. And like he is referred to. He is a true beast. He is a beast. True beast. Yeah, that's what he is. And yet him as a beast is still saying, oh no, humans have a special place here. Yeah. Which is, I always thought was Which is especially interesting because he didn't create Narnia with humans in it. Correct. Like the fact that humans were there was a redemption of the harm that humans did. Mm Mm-hmm. So is this a cultural thing where like, you know, the golden age of Narnia was when the Pevensies were there and ruling and this stuck in the collective consciousness of narnia so long that like anything close to human is considered to be somehow like better or more you know apt to lead than the animals are i don't know and i find that really really interesting especially because we have characters that were introduced like in uh like i want to bring this back to lion the witch in the wardrobe a few times we have we have father christmas and the witch who mm-hmm. the witch is not human. Yes. But like Father Christmas, we may it may or may not be. He is a spirit who takes on the form of a human, whatever mm-hmm. he looks like. Mm-hmm. We have gods and goddesses of the rivers and things like that. So like we really don't have a whole lot of idea, like, especially in a culture that has river gods and tree spirits, like why on earth are humans so high up in the hierarchy? Well, is it just because Lewis decided it was that way? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it does seem very much like a cultural thing in Narnia. But it also seems like a cultural thing because humans desire better for themselves. Mm-hmm. Where, like, they can rule because they can be of the mind of improving things mm-hmm. for themselves or for others. Whereas animals are just remembering and maintaining. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. That's, uh, that's a thing. Uh, but we have this war council. gets called together. And then it's very quickly interrupted. Uh, because there's a man somewhere nearby. Yes. They smell they smell the blood of an Englishman. A sort of man. Mm-hmm. And not, not like, oh, hey, it's a man. But it's a, hey, it's a sort of man kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and right here, there was another line that I wanted to call attention to, because I, I thought it could be, like, 
a fun callback. They were all creatures of the wild, accustomed to being hunted, and they all became still as statues. Ooh, the witch. Uh-huh. I didn't even, that didn't yeah. even hit me until you just read it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, like a callback to like, this they is the state. They were accustomed to being hunted. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was, that was a, that was a beautiful callback. Uh-huh. Thank you for pointing that out to me. Yeah, I thought that was good. Like, from a literary perspective, <laughs> that was well done, Lewis. Mm-hmm. Clap, Cheers. clap, clap. Uh, That's so- the kind of thing that I get impressed with myself with when I accidentally do it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oops. Well, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. This book might be changing my mind about Lewis's ability as a writer. Um, at least <laughs> of fiction. Uh, but, you know, we, we had to pause because there's a man, you know, somewhere. They send out a search party. And mm-hmm. we Caspian find- yells out an order. And we find... Uh, Caspian takes command on that. Like, he just says, you, go, you, you, you. Like, he points to the six dwarves that had their bows at the ready and said, you, go. Yeah. And whoever else, the squirrels. He, he does start being very kingly. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. And yeah. this is literally day two. Yes. Like, or however long he spent with Truffle Hunter and them bef- nursing his wounds. But Yeah. I mean, we can talk about this at any point here, but should we dwell on like uh, a comparison between Caspian and uh, Kor. Do you want to go to Caspian and Kor? I, I agree that that would absolutely be worth a, worth focusing on mm-hmm. but I want to kind of like think about paralleling King Peter first because we have okay. basically Peter being awarded the shield and the sword by Father Christmas mm-hmm. and immediately kind of steps into this kingly role where he is now royalty Mm -hmm. and we have caspian being awarded this shield and sword by the dwarves and Mm -hmm. this armor Mm -hmm. and kind of immediately stepping into this kingly role so we have the mantle that's king yeah it's this mantle that's being handed off to them Mm -hmm. versus core who shows up and everyone says oh he looks kingly yeah like he's already got the mantle (laughs) and it's just because he's been riding a horse that taught him how to ride a horse like he, that's how he knows how to mount up a horse because he's been falling off a horse for the last two days in the desert. Yeah. You know. Looks lordly and all that. Yes, but he very much has this physical presentation of kingliness and looking like a king mm-hmm. versus Caspian, who's growing into that here after having received the title in the same way that we have, you know, like the order of events is reversed. Mm-hmm. We have Peter, you are a king, becomes a king. We have Kor, your kingly, becomes a king. Mm-hmm. And then we have Caspian, you are royal, now you're our king, you're kingly. Yeah. So he kind of grows into the role more after. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense and it doesn't feel out of place in this universe. It's still odd. I feel like as, you know, a sequence of events, you know, you could look at it as in in this day and age, like you're walking down the street and somebody comes up and Same hands you... Same as do I diddy, diddy dum, diddy do. Yeah, that one. And somebody comes up and hands you a badge and a gun and says, you're the mayor now. You know... <sighs> Strange women <laughs> sitting in ponds distributing stores is not a basis for a system of government. You look like a mayor. Here's a gun. Yeah. You're the mayor. Lead the town. Go. Like, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It was a little bit like that. And, you know, you coming into that role right away. Um, but yeah, we get Professor Cornelius back. He shows up very conveniently, I might add. I'll get into that later. Okay. But he, uh, <laughs> he just so happens to find the group. Uh, and he comes with a warning. You are betrayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, By another renegade dwarf, no doubt. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Nickenbrick is very, very opposed to this guy and, you know, his half-bloodedness. What is it? What exactly does he call him? There's an actual, like, slur that we use in this book somewhere. Yeah, there's a slur. Oh, yes. A half-and-halfer. He's a half-and-halfer. Please don't. It's the end of the book. I know, (laughs) but, like, it's so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Stop giggling. It's bad. Well, I, I was giggling because I read that and I was just like, just thought of half and half as in like the cream you put into coffee and such. Yeah. Um, 
thought it was a, a fun insult just based on that. Okay. Um, you know, like calling somebody like a sugar cube. Is that, is that a slur I don't know about? <laughs> Probably somewhere. How much of this am I going to have to edit out? Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> it depends on who wins the election. <laughs> Woo-hoo. That's as political as I'll get in this episode. Um, yeah, but Mraz has found out that, uh, what's his face? Caspian. Keep forgetting his name. Yep. Mraz has found out that Caspian's flown the coop, uh, because of his horse. Because his horse wandered back. Poor dumb horse. This is like the fault of it not being a talking horse. He just wanders on back to the stable and everybody's just like, oh, Caspian's gone. And so he immediately sent out a bunch of search parties because Mraz wants this dude dead. Uh, and they got to move. They've got to move on, and Cornelius has just the place to go. It's so convenient. Mm-hmm. How convenient? Aslan's how. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Um, You're tired. You need. I. There's an energy drink in the fridge. No, I just. You... I put a Mountain Dew in the freezer for me to have. Okay. There's. There's two energy drinks in the fridge. And that's too much caffeine for what I want right now. Okay. I can I don't do. You're those. gonna have a Mountain Dew instead. Yeah. Okay. It's less caffeine. Sure. It's healthier whatever um yeah and everybody the the reactions to to like some of the characters have to coordinate are are fun here uh because nick and brick is immediately just like hey you want me to stab him you know let's kill him Reba- well then caspian immediately jumps to his defense yeah which like, is what reap cheap then is a plane on after that yeah. Also, you know, Cornelius is like very nice to the mouse, uh, and then Reaper Chief is immediately like, no. After it, after after calling him a mosquito, yeah, <laughs> he was really nice to uh-huh. Reaper Chief. And any dwarf or giant in the army who does not give you good language shall have my sword to reckon with. Reaper Chief says. Yep. So is this like getting more into why you love this character so much? Yes. It's like I expect it. I expect you to love <laughs> Reaper Chief as well. Reaper Chief's fun. Yep. I like Reaper Chief. Um. And then we have the bears who are just like, well, if it involves running, <laughs> we're yes, out. let us not have any running. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and then I wanted to ask you about this one. Okay. Which was a response the centaur has to the bears, who says, those who run first do not always run last. Yes. So those who, who strategically leave. Mm-hmm when they have a warning do not always lose okay because i i was unclear on the meaning of, of that in the context and i wanted to ask your thoughts on that because you know the, the centaurs are wise and prophets and it's probably some deep lesson buried in there yep those who run first do not always, if you retreat in a battle now mm-hmm. or retreat from a battle now you are not always de- doomed to retreat for the rest of the war there you go uh, but Cornelius talks about this place called Aslan's Howl. Yep. Um, magic. Deep magic there. And there's some... Also, how did he find them? With magic. With some magic. You know, but he, he's barely a magician. He like, Some simple know. magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He barely knows how to do anything according to Cornelius. Yeah. So when we've been talking about, in, in other books and references to magic, have we already touched about how magic is this kind of vaguely royal thing? Uh, yes. In the same way that, like, the witch in charn and yes she's assuming that uncle andrew is some kind of emperor or sorcerer and Mm -hmm. okay all right we've already touched on this yes we did uh but yeah there's a little bit more magic in this chapter uh but aslan's howl is apparently like this big mound thing there's all kinds of rooms and caves carved into it and like there's some sort of magical stone there a very magical stone what what is that it's the stone table yeah i know we get there in this chapter um yeah but like that's where (laughs) they that's where they were to meet when they met at the stone table it was called aslan's how i think i think it was introduced that way in the lion the witch and the wardrobe was it because you check the map because the structure wasn't there this is a structure that has been built over the table yes and like containing the table in the time since this has all happened yes but i'm pretty sure on the map from the original lion the witch and the wardrobe Mm -hmm. um yeah uh and so it yeah. was labeled as Aslan's How. Well, I have a map here that has it. I want the one yeah. from Lion, yeah. Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's labeled as Aslan's How on this map. There it is. Uh, where is that? Far left. Far left. Over here. Yeah. Uh, in that map, it is much closer to the coast 
than it is in uh, this map in my book. Because Aslan's Howl is uh, way up there. Yeah, that's like where way. it is. Like, oh. Yeah, it's much, much farther away from the coast. We have the river go down mm-hmm. and come back up, and it's like near Baruna. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it, <laughs> no, 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 because it goes after, after the river dips down again and goes back up. It's just drawn much closer to the river. Mm-hmm. That's in the right spot. That's yeah. the right spot for the river flow, at least if you look at the, the river's yeah. position. Yeah. Uh, and I would like to point out here that, well, they decide to go to the Howl. They take off. It says they're leaving that night by daybreak or something the next day they get there. Yes. And with that, we have one of the first real tangible ways that we can kind of scope out the size of Narnia and mm-hmm. how big it is. So I can post pictures of this on the Instagram. <laughs> or have Kristen do it. Um, either way. But we have a map of, like, the whole of Narnia mm-hmm. uh, in the front of this book. And we have Dancing Lawn marked out. And we have Aslan's Howl marked out here on this map. Yes. And we're saying this is, at the most, 12 hours walk. Like, maybe. Yes. Like, no, that this isn't that. the first time that we've had this kind of measurement, though. Because remember the Beaver's Dam all the way to the Howl was... oh. oh. Uh, they left after dinner and got there by lunchtime the next day, basically. Like, that's how long they traveled with the beavers, the Pevensies. Mm-hmm. So, we've had a size estimation there before. Yeah, like, doing, like, quick and dirty back in the napkin math, like, I was saying, maybe a 12-hour trip, like, upper end of it between Aslan's Howl and uh, Dancing Lawn. Depending and, on what season they're in, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like... <laughs> As long if you're not going on the Discworld, no, sorry, still better. Uh huh. If you're if you're going, you know, overland, that's not terribly like it's rough terrain. I would say you could probably pull off like three miles an hour. That's a good like solid walking pace. Over. Well, and even this is a whole bunch of animals that live in the woods. They're they're skilled at this particular terrain. Like, yes, it isn't. It isn't like they're humans traveling through woodland there are yeah. animals that live in woodland traveling through woodland yeah but like on the so they could get even higher than that yeah i would say on the upper end maybe like five miles an hour or something but also you know how how quickly do animals travel mm-hmm. um so i would say in the on the very upper end of distance and time we're looking at 60 miles 30 to 60 miles would be like my my general estimate which i know is a huge number like it's either this number or twice that number. Yeah. But <laughs> somewhere in there, let's split the difference and say it's, you know, 45 miles between Dancing Lawn and Aslan's Howl. Which, if we apply that to this map, gives us really rough dimensions of, like, 250 miles. Yeah. To a, to a side, like, 250 miles square. Not square. Not 250 square miles. 250 miles on a side mm-hmm. is what I'm looking at for the, the size of Narnia. Yeah. Which is, like, not terribly small. But, al- but also, like, not a huge country by any means. No, no, no. Uh-huh. But also like you live in America, which uh-huh. is a ginormous country. Like, it's significantly smaller than Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, which, I mean, it's been referred to as being a small country before. I just thought it would be fun to do the math on that and, you know. Put some numbers to it. Okay. Um, I'm glad that you took time on on record to do that math. It was fun. <laughs> um, so we get to Aslan's Howl, and then we get into basically a montage where Miraz's forces show up, and we don't know how much time passes, but we know like they go there, they fortify themselves, both you know Miraz's forces and Caspian's forces, and there's a series of battles. There's a bunch of skirmishes that break out. Yeah. Like that we don't really get into like we you know we have some back and forth we have scouts attacked we have like maneuvers that they're trying to do to take out Miraz's army and yeah uh caspian kind of becomes like a de facto leader here and he's like the general of this army that's trying to you know just survive because Miraz has surrounded him like good on them for holding out i guess oh, like yeah. they're 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 good enough to not immediately get overrun uh but in one of these battles, everything goes wrong. Yep. Because we shouldn't have trusted Wimbleweather. Oh, yeah. 
It's all your fault. Yeah. Uh, nobody told Caspian that giants were stupid. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Apparently no one communicated that to him, and he didn't observe it himself or pick it up himself up until that point. Mm. Well, he said, no. It says no one had warned Caspian because no one in these later days of Narnia remembered. <laughs> just like it's been so long that it, since anybody's interacted with a giant, they're just like, he's probably fine. Which which is the opposite of what animals are supposed to do. Like, uh-huh. they're supposed to remember, right? Like, Yeah. Where were the badgers in this? Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. Where where was Truffle Hunter? Like, he's there He's there for the cleanup. He's there for the meeting afterwards being like, yeah, you should blow this horn. But mm-hmm. he wasn't there to be like, you shouldn't trust the giant. Yeah. So they tried to do this whole pincher maneuver to cut off, like, the right flank of Morass's army. Fails miserably. Uh, Weather gets very sad and we have a long paragraph that talks about how sad he is. Uh, and I have an illustration of sad Weather in my book. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, and also in this picture, like, I know it says he's a small giant, but like, with the framing here, he just looks like a regular human. Like yes, based on, but the mice are supposed to be bigger than yeah. regular mice. But it's like based on the size of the mice, he looks very like human sized. Um. Anyway. Yeah. So we have sad Wimble weather, uh, and he has to go off and be alone, and then he screws up again and steps on somebody's tail and gets bitten, and like there's you know tensions are high in the camp. Um. Yes. Very and, very high. And they have a meeting about it around the stone table not actually at the stone table because it's way too magical to like touch but they're near the stone table and they have this meeting where truffle hunters just like you know what we're kind of screwed maybe it's time you blow that there horn you have because of course he told them all about yeah it. yeah i mean he wouldn't he wouldn't hide that uh and caspian kind of fights him a little bit on it and it's just like maybe this isn't the worst hour and maybe we're maybe we need it for another one but at that logic you won't blow the horn until it's too late Mm -hmm. which is you know which is a familiar argument that you know everybody who's into like gaming has is like you find that super rare item and you're just like maybe i should use it now no 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 i shouldn't use it now might need it more later and this is you know this internal struggle that he has but he gets convinced, so they're going to blow the horn. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to blow the horn. Which Trumpkin doesn't believe is going to do anything. He's very much uh, an anti-magical kind of guy. Oh, yeah, Doesn't yeah. believe any of this magic nonsense and, you know, sure, blow it. Nothing's going to happen. Doesn't believe in Aslan. None Just, of this. He also ha- makes a very good point of, like, hey, we shouldn't tell everyone about it because we don't want to get hopes up in the event that nothing happens like I think is what's going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he also is a good soldier because he says, I know that there's a difference between advice and orders. The time for advice is past. Give me your orders, Caspian. You know, like straight up, like I really like as much as he's been kind of like a whimsical character up to this point with his soup and celery. <laughs> but um, he is at this point like the most respectful and honoring of a chain of command and a structure. Mm-hmm. And he's very much part of like, hi, I'm part of the war council, but you are the authority Caspian. Mm-hmm. So give me your orders. Those red dwarves, you know, they know what they're doing. So yeah, before Trump can get sent off, on this adventure, we have Cornelius talking about what's going to happen when the horn gets blown, uh, and feigning ignorance here. Um, <laughs> feigning but, ignorance, you say? Well, we'll get into that later. In your baseless speculation? In, in that. But Cornelius confirms a lot of stuff that we've talked about in the past few chapters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So, what he says is like, well, who knows what'll happen? Maybe it'll summon Aslan. What I think is more likely is it's going to call back Peter the High King and his uh, his fellow rulers back from the high past. Totally going to call them back. That's what the horn does. Uh, but we have no way of knowing where they'll show up. Probably a place with a lot of magic. Maybe here. Probably not here, though. Probably what's most likely is, you know, either in Lantern Wastes or, you know, the ruins of Care Paravel, which is right down there. So and he has should... done so much yeah. study about uh-huh. the kings and queens of old. Mm-hmm. Like... He searched for this horn. He found this horn. He knows some he stuff. He knows some stuff about this horn. Mm-hmm. Like, there's legitimately a lot of information that he is 
that he should be speculating on that he's stating as like, oh, I know this for fact. Uh-huh. He, he knows some things and some stuff. Um. So, yeah, he's, he's like, all right. This is the this is the most likely thing. If they show up, they're going to be in one of these two places. And Caspian's like, I we send we'll send some messengers to those places just in case something happens. Yeah, we're going to go to the Lantern Waste and down to Care Paravel, and <laughs> Trumpkin is the one who volunteers to go down to Care Paravel, even though he absolutely doubts everything about this horn and magic. But he respects the king. He does. And we're gonna go down after there. after we have another moment that you're just completely breezing past oh. of Nickabrick saying he would never leave <laughs> because he has to make sure that with all of these humans around, the dwarves get treated fairly. Mm-hmm. How many humans are around? Uh, one and a half. One and a half. <laughs> and Nickabrick is so defensive. Mm-hmm. As as to how his people are being treated, mm-hmm. and I think that that is a very interesting indicator of like how Nickelbrick feels that his people fall in this hierarchy and in this whole resistance. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's adding more to the potential for tension in the ranks. Yeah, because we obviously have Nickelbrick as like the highest ranking black dwarf being very defensive of how his people are being treated mm-hmm. so i don't i don't know it's interesting i yeah. just thought it was worth pointing out yeah uh it's like another one of those black dwarf versus red dwarf things yeah we have a very very mm, distinct nice. difference between them cultural divide um also i feel like this chapter and this isn't i don't i feel like this is obvious enough that it's not baseless speculation at this point i feel like this has lent itself even more to my ongoing theory that, like, you know, Nickabrick and Trumpkin and uh, the other one, Truffle Hunter. Yeah, the three of them. That they were, like, working on stuff behind the scenes for a while. Okay. Because, like, they're immediately in a position of leadership next to the king here. And is that just out of chance because, hey, they happen to be the ones who found him? I, I don't know. You don't know. Uh-huh. That seems less likely than the other creatures already recognizing them as authority figures. Yeah, and then, that's fair. That's fair, because <laughs> we don't even have discussion of the centaur being, of, of Glenn, mm-hmm. what's his name? Glenstorm. Yeah, we don't even, was Glenstorm even in this meeting? Like, because nope. up to this point, he's been the most martial of everybody. Mm-hmm. But is he present here? No, he's not one of the inner circle. Yeah, it doesn't seem that way, so... Mm-hmm. very very interesting these yeah these guys definitely already had positions of leadership among the old narnians yeah who knows what they were up to uh but yeah we sent off Pattertwig. we sent which really want to know what happens to him because we know what happens to trumpkin basically uh, yeah. he is the dwarf that's telling this story he is Gerd. uh and then we finally get out of this frame story in the next chapter which is called how they left the island yep so we had, you know, a good third of this book, if not more than that, dedicated solely to, like, just explaining the events of... Yeah, five yeah. five <laughs> chapters out of 15. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. And now we can actually get to things that are happening in the present. Um, anything you want to get into that we didn't really talk about in the chapter? Um, no, like, I think my biggest thing was, was Cornelius showing up and, and being this warning... But also, like, um, within that, Cornelius is also this giver of information. And he's filling a Tumnus role. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's filling a Beaver role. Mm -hmm. He's filling this kind of role that Lewis has established is necessary in all of his books. Mm -hmm. With all of his characters, where, like... He's Bree, you know, he's the he's the hermit. He's he's all of these different giver of information. Mm-hmm. He is the Lewis surrogate mm-hmm. in this book. To the point where he's a tutor and an educator and, you know, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And you know Thanks stuff. Yeah. I mean it's just it's just about how Cornelius is the Lewis surrogate. Yeah. But like how we've also been able to kind of cast some 
mystery around all of these characters. Mm -hmm. So is Lewis, like, seeing himself a little more mysteriously as, like, uh, whatever creative person that he is? I don't know. Anyway, I'm just reading a little bit more about Lewis himself into this chapter. No, it's interesting. I wouldn't wouldn't have gotten there. So, no. You think, like, even beyond the fourth wall breaking, like, Lewis is inserting himself as a character into these books. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. He, I mean, he's the hermit <laughs> for sure. Uh-huh. Like, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Intriguing. Um, yeah. Uh, that's basically all I had if we want to move on to our next segment. Sure. What's our next segment, Kristen? It's either reviews or baseless speculation. I think it's, sorry, rewriting, not reviews. Gee, how long has it been? It's either rewriting or baseless speculation. Uh-huh. I'm really not sure which. It is. In fact, Narnia Chopped and Screwed uh, has rewrites. a name. It does. Uh, in this segment, we go back through the chapter. We pick five sentences that we use to create an entirely new story, uh, usually, out of what the chapter has to give us. And it's just a little thing that we have fun with and, and like to reimagine the storyline sometimes. I get to go first. Yeah. Try to write a new story with these sentences that we found in the book. Yours is really short. Mine is really short. Go ahead. I wish our leaders would think less about these old wives' tales and more about victuals and arms. I agree with that, said Dr. Cornelius. I won't go, said Nickabrick. But what's that got to do with it? Betrayed, said Caspian. Okay. I don't know. It's uh, kind of a back and forth there. Yes, but it's it's all about conflict in uh-huh. the ranks and yeah. a betrayal that yeah. Nickabrick betrayed them. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. So kind of kind of reimagining what you see in the chapter. Yeah, and, it's less know, about a themes. war and more about conflict, strife. Cool. Uh, I went more of like a, a mystical direction with it. Okay. So here is my rewrite. As follows. This, where we now sit, is the most ancient and most deeply magical of all, and here, I think, the answer is likeliest to come. They were not using the table nor sitting round it. It was too magic a thing for any common use. It all seemed to belong to an even older Narnia than the Narnia of which his nurse had told him. All I insist on is that the army is told nothing about it. But it had all failed. <laughs> I like it. I like hey, it. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Just, I don't know. May rewriting this chapter into another like very like ritualistic magic thing, and yeah, them trying to come up with arcane ways of ensuring victory. Uh, cool. Oh yeah. So that being said, we can go ahead and jump into our our final segment here. Uh, mm-hmm. It's what we call baseless speculation, and I, who have never read the books before, uh, don't know where the story is going, but I try to take what information I have and make wild conclusions based off of that. Wild conclusions. I don't have as much in this chapter as I did in the last one, just because, like, the last one was just, like, an explosion of all these characters and all this stuff that was happening. Uh, yeah, it was, uh... I mean, there was a lot of introduction, there was a lot of content, there was a lot that happened, uh-huh. for sure, yeah. Uh, in this one, a lot of stuff still happens, but it was much more focused. So I'll be more focused in my baseless speculation. So I'll be more focused in my baseless speculation. And focus more entirely on Dr. Cornelius, which I think is a really uh, fascinating figure. And don't think he's entirely honest about anything. I don't think he is necessarily who he says he is. Because uh, wow. just like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff. Like, you know, he just so happens to go and find this group of people meeting in a very secret place that he should have no knowledge of. And he says, oh, yeah, don't worry about, you know, just a little bit of magic. Uh, You know, and this is not the first time he's done this. Whereas when talking to Caspian in the castle, he's just like, yeah, I know a little bit about magic. I'm by no means, you know, a good magician. And yeah, this is the second, like, really useful spell he's pulled off. Yeah, he had that sleep spell in the mm-hmm. castle that he used on the... Yeah, and and now he's, like, been able to flawlessly locate Caspian, like, really, really quickly. And just immediately comes in and is just like, alright, I got information, here's what I know. And also, kind of the, 
kind of in the same way that Truffle Hunter and Nick and Brick and Trump can kind of assume leadership roles, he's very immediately welcomed into this circle. Yeah. Like, except for Nick and Brick, who's kind of distrusting, like, you know, Reaper Cheap and, like, everybody who's just like, oh, yeah, sure, he, he's fine. He's got information. We should listen to this guy. And, well, Caspian vouches for him, and that's that's what gives him this protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but more so than this, like, he, dude knows exactly what's going on with the horn. Like, he knows exactly what's going to happen as soon as Caspian blows it. Yeah. It does seem that way for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he knows about all this stuff. Like, he had the horn in the first place. He was able to locate that. Like, apparently dude is real good at locating lost things or things that are should be hard to find. Uh, and, like, knows exactly what the deal is. So, my question is, who's Cornelius, really? Like... Lewis. Maybe. Could also, like, it would be, you know, a departure from the way he normally shows up. Could be an avatar for Aslan. Oh, okay, okay. Uh huh. Though him taking a human form would be really weird. Half dwarf. Uh huh. And and not something that he'd normally do. Uh, you know, could also be like some figure like the hermit or prophet or something. So yeah, uh, I'm still holding on to the theory that he, you know, is more involved with this group of resistance critters than he lets on. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is like, my, what I'm trying to get at is why, though. Why Because, like, if he is this, this figure that knows a lot more than he's letting on, or if he's pretending to be someone else, why the theater? Why the pageantry of him, like, showing up to the group and finding the group, but, like, still having Truffle Hunter go and, like, bring him in and the animal's not trusting him? Like, that's the, that's the thing I'm trying to work out here. Okay. It's like, why is he trying to make it seem like he's not as involved as he is? But is he not? Like, what evidence do you have other than the fact that he finds them? What evidence do you have that he is, like, more involved? Like, nobody knows him. He has to be introduced to everybody. Like, there, everyone would have to be in on it. Like, everyone who knows him would have to be faking ignorance. Mm-hmm. And why, why, why? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe my whole theory is full of holes. Uh, but I think it's very obvious just from his whole spiel about the horn that he knows a lot more than he's saying he does. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Uh-huh. And so... Anyway, yeah, so still putting those theories together, but... Uh, yeah, who knows? Who indeed? Yeah. Uh, we're, we got a, lot of, got a lot of planes, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. All right. Um, so that's my baseless speculation. We'll see where it goes. I, I'm totally calling that Cornelius reveals himself to be something else, though. Do you actually think that that's going to happen? Do you I think absolutely he's... do. Okay. Dude yeah. knows exactly what's going to happen with the horn. He's just like, yeah, blow the horn, the kids are going to show up from the past, and they're going to come to Care Paravel. Like, how else does he know all this stuff? Like, that's True. that's a wild freaking guess. True. Um, True. Anyway. Cool. That's the chapter. Yeah. Uh Next week, we're going to get out of our frame story, as we said. Yep. Next week, we go back to the kids on the island with uh, Trumpkin, apparently. We, we figured out how they get off the island, too. Yeah. That, well, I mean. They sp- do have a boat, so. Spoilers. I mean. The total, <laughs> the title is how they left the island, so I wonder what's going to happen in that chapter. Could be anything, really. Really, it could be. <sighs> um, so, they are going to leave the island at some point. Real quick, though. What do we think? Do we think that... You know, for the sake of argument, Cornelius is right, like, in a literal sense where, like, this is kind of the... Sorry. Do we think that as soon as Caspian blew the horn, that's what pulled the Pevensies in from... The train station? The train station. I think so, yes. Okay. And I'm going to spoil the first, you know, three sentences of the next chapter. Yes, wow. it okay. is. Okay, okay. Um, yes. Okay. Within the first, within the first paragraph of the next chapter, you know, they double check what time it was mm-hmm. that he blew the horn and when Nick, when, uh, Trumpkin headed that way and all of that and how long they've been there. And okay. it was precisely at that time. Cool. So yes, we, we can confirm that with a mild spoiler on the next chapter. Okay. Let's go ahead and 
close out then. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, uh, we upload our podcasts on Mondays, except for last Monday, because we failed. Um, And we will see you next week when we are discussing Chapter 8 of Prince Caspian, How They Left the Island. Um, If you want to, in the meantime, participate by interacting with us, reminding us that we were late on uploading a podcast or otherwise, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you could email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in giving us all of your extra money that you just have laying around to give to podcasters who entertain you, then you can support us at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast, um, where you get nothing in return. And Chris has plans that by the end of this book, we'll be giving you something there. Don't know what. Don't know why. Don't know when. Just before the end of this book. And so, um, yeah. Until next time, don't uh, never mock a man, save when he is stronger than you, then as you please. And never use your sword to cut loose your dwarf. Cheers. Don't be a dirty sugar cube. And he began already to harden, and his face wore, and his face wore a kinglier look. And when, with some difficulty, they had got Pattertwig, with some difficulty they had got Pattertwig to stop running to and fro. And I'll be there in about as long as uh, takes a giant to cry into a field of mice. <laughs> A sort of man. Mm-hmm. And not not like, oh, hey, it's a man, but it's a, hey, it's a sort of man kind of thing. Close to human is considered to be somehow... Anything close to human is considered to be somehow, like, better. <sighs> Where is my brain today? Where? Where is it? I cannot find it. I'm going to go get my um, nail polish room. Okay. Jeez. Hot takes from the podcast. Wednesdays, Wednesdays are terrible. Yep. Um, 